This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio. Mellon Law, which is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, won't back down, no will the Gators. And we'll be finding out about that very soon this Saturday in the evening game with Utah, which is no pushover. And we'll be able to uh, maybe read a little bit of the future of the Gators by the way they behave in that game, which could be great, dismal, or somewhere in between. And so the uh, tension is building, interest is building. Uh, Crime prevention protects us uh, 24-7-365. CPSS.net, uh, John Pastore and Randy Elrad, and you have our mugshots to take a look at, as so many of you do. The uh, interest now is uh, building on a couple of things, stories that we've been running locally, and um, I have to tell you that um, they, they are very interesting from a number of, of, um, of, of angles. You know, we've been running, let's just have a kind of a class review here. Good morning, John. Uh, let's have kind of a class review here. We've um, been keeping you up to date on um, the saga, if you will, of Boss Hart and Rotos et al. SWAT team matrix, all that business. Uh, uh, the adjacent lawsuits coming from all uh, the innocent bystanders who are swept up in the uh, overzealous uh, activity. And uh, that's working its way through the courts. And to give you a heads up on that today, Tomorrow and the day after, I think those are the dates, are the depositions of one Ken Cornell, Autumn Doughton, some of the principal players in this mystery story of our community. And we'll see how that plays out. The judge denied uh, the request by Boss Hart's attorneys to seal those depositions. So those depositions will not be sealed. Now, you can bet that Boss Hart attorneys are going to use the mysterious trade secret as a reason that they want them sealed because there may be in this deposition some stumbling across uh, the so-called trade secret, which from everybody's reportage to me in the real estate business, and yours truly also, once had a broker's license and was in, very much involved in a real estate business. None of us knows what under the sun could be a trade secret. So it's been one of those terms which has been used to browbeat um, the individuals into uh, compliance, which of course they haven't done because it doesn't make any sense that someone could steal something that really doesn't exist according to everybody's recognition of such a thing as a trade secret. Um, The other thing which is sort of really yet to be, how can I say this, paid for, 
Now, I think somebody should pay for this. I have been getting calls from pretty significant real estate developers and landholders in this community who have been watching this story as I've been reporting it, who have told me that they have chosen not to do business with Riles and Drotos while this was dragging out for fear by doing business with them, they themselves might be inadvertently dragged into the argument. And by turning down Drotos and Riles as their agents, these guys are big enough and hold enough property and have enough development in mind that this amounts to millions of dollars that Drotos and Riles would have otherwise been the agents for that they have never been even considered to be the agents for, not because they are not the first choice of the sellers and the developers to market these projects, but because the sellers and the developers don't want to be dragged into this argument. It's sort of like what the Ward Scott Files faces. If you see advertisers on this show, support them because they are courageous people. They believe in what we do. They know that we're a community forum. And yet I can tell you there's all kinds who would, but they're afraid. They're afraid the woke people will come along and involve them politically. So they don't do anything. They don't do anything. And this is sort of like what we got here with the developers and the uh, landowners. Their first choice would obviously, they say to me, have been normally Drotos and Riles. They're the best. But they don't dare touch them because they don't want to get dragged into. Now, this, is, this has enormous consequences. We're talking about millions of dollars of lost money that I think the loser of this argument should have to pay for. Wouldn't you think that only be fair? If in throwing out these accusations, in the end, they prove to be empty, hollow, have no meaning, no substance, then the damages are only beginning. How long, if ever, will the reputations of those people who had these accusations thrown at them be damaged? They've already been damaged. If I take into account what these people have told me, phone calls yesterday, a couple of conversations before, where these people said, I just want you to know, Ward, this is the story. That's not being told. We have chosen not because we don't want to do business with them, but we have chosen not to do business with them because we've got obviously a heavy-handed police department that's not afraid to march in there with a SWAT team. We've got a 
curious development by a still wet behind the ears state attorney who decides to criminalize this, okay, the criminalization of this, do his part in any way, or as the previous state attorney who looked at it, I'm told by many sources, said this is just an argument over commissions. There's nothing criminal here. That's a curious wrinkle in all of this. That's going to have to be paid for. If in the end, the state attorney drops the charges, as many think the state attorney is going to have to, because they don't have anything but cotton candy. You know how cotton candy was at the fair. We'd go get it as kids. It'd be this big, puffy stuff on a stick, and you'd put it in your mouth, and it would disappear into one little spoonful of sugar. I mean, that's the way this is uh, to many observers. This whole thing is a bunch of cotton candy. But it's expensive, very expensive mistakes are potentially being made here by police, by attorneys, by professionals in all phases of this. So you're only beginning to see just the early stages of this. Already, Judge Kime has upheld the arbitrator's decision that thou shalt pay almost $1.5 million, Boss Hart, to Riles, Grotos, the attorneys, the arbitrator, and uh, thou shalt not wiggle out of that, which is my understanding they haven't and can't. More story there that I'll report when I can. But that's just the beginning. That's just opening up a lot of attacks that are going to come rightfully so by people who've been damaged by this. It's really one of the most curious things that I've been reporting on since I've been doing this for 10 years. You know, I first went before a microphone in 2012 is my recollection. And 10 years later, I mean, I I thought I'd run out of material. I've never run out of material because there are always these things going on And I'm told if it were not for the Ward Scott files, you wouldn't know about it. Well, that's sad. we got a paper here, the Gainesville Sunset um, television. You know, you mean tell me you wouldn't know about this stuff? So here we are. You can watch these shows on wardscottfiles.com. You can watch it on YouTube, provided, of course, we don't mention the beep word. And then, of course, uh, you can go out to, I think we're on, production has told me last time I chatted with them about this about 37 different platforms. So there are a lot of people who hear the show, not at the time it's live, but at the time of their choosing, it's convenient for them. So this story is really, when those people, and these are some, as I say, big time players in this community who've been watching this show and are fully involved in this behind the scenes and ascertaining what the truth is. And they, as I say, I pass this along to you. That has to be, I would think in fairness, that has to be, somebody has to pay for that. When you start costing people whose living is profoundly excellent by everyone's account, millions of dollars because you didn't know how to do your job properly. I'm talking now about GPD. I'm talking about the state attorney. I'm talking about these so-called professionals 
who, if the testimony is correct in the Jason Hurst lawsuit by Jeff Childers, which is really taken from the Toronto deposition, uh, that the Bossarts essentially paid for the investigation in a situation they're involved in, which is everyone in law enforcement has told me that's unheard of, then we really got an interesting wrinkle to this case. So I bring this to your attention so that you might understand what's going on here in the community and that the story is just beginning to really take another level. So these depositions were supposed to have, you know, the, the delay of Cornell's deposition has been considerable time now. He was supposed to have been deposed, uh, I like that, supposed to have been deposed in a November of 2020-21. Well, he begged out of that, claiming his job as a county commissioner, which pays him about 85 grand a year, uh, a little bit less perhaps, uh, is more important, now think about this, more important that he perform that role than he go tell the truth uh, under oath about a situation that's costing uh, Brotos and Riles millions of dollars. You know, I, I can't, I, you know, when I, when I think about it in those terms, I have a tough time forgiving uh, somebody who would do something like that. I really do. And then the second instance, as you may recall, involves yours truly. When I just went to a Zoom link that was public and checked into it, and lo and behold, shut the whole thing down because I was there. They used that as an excuse. You have to remember, Adrotos and Rawls' attorneys did not object to me being there. They said, we have nothing to hide. But the attorneys for Cornell at that deposition did, and even accused me of saying things about Cornell, uh, which I have let you know go. Um, it's an untruth that they uh, never criticized anybody's religion. And this is what they said, this attorney said in this uh, particular moment of exclamation. I mean, it's there. I just haven't ever gotten the, the uh, transcript of it, but it's there. And um, huge lie. So, so, um, that was the second time he avoided. Now cometh the moment, if you will, perhaps, of revelation. We'll see. Now, you can bet that when these depositions are taken, the attorneys for Boss Hart are going to run right back to the court and swear up and down that there's this material in there which the public just can't see. I got to tell you something. This real estate business now in the state of Florida is one of the most transparent things, businesses you can possibly get involved with. I mean, from everything from um, uh, looking up the value of things and the sales of things and all the videos into the properties. And I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? We have the Florida Real Estate Commission. Uh, you know, it, it, come on. Uh, it is probably the most one of the most heavily regulated outfits, businesses in the state. And on the other hand, it's amazing the second chances they give scoundrels. I mean, I could give you the names right now of people in this community who have done four or five years in the jug for cocaine 
who are back there selling real estate. Um, I, you know, there you go. So, you know, that's all. You know, I watch it just like you do and wonder and shake my head. There, you know, I guess there's no integrity in the business, maybe, but there is accountability. But there's somehow you can escape the heavy hand of justice and have it mitigated at least. And I can give you several instances of that. So that's the reportage, if you will, right now on what is going on with the um, ongoing mystery of the community concerning that event. The other thing, which is I'm going to announce now for the first time publicly, and you're going to see this become a real uh, article of interest. Let me just uh, take a sip here of Mr. Wright. This is going to become, you're going to hear a lot more about this. But I'm going to go back to May uh, 10, and I'm going to refresh you uh, as background on this story before I get into where it is right now. Now, uh, by the way, uh, uh, the quote of the day, i got to give you the quote of the day. This quote has been picked up by uh, Florida politics, Politico, this world out there of heavy readership into Florida politics. It is um, put under the quote of the day. It has to do with one of the other stories that we've been bringing you for a long, long time. We broke it here first, a voter beep uh, in the jail and all that kind of business. Well, the quote of the day is from our investigator instigator, Mark Glazer, as he commented on the recent voter beep crackdown. And here's the quote. The concerning thing to me is that a private citizen has to put their name out there. But the people that are getting paid to do their job, they did next to nothing. The people who were getting paid to protect us and safeguard the voter rolls and the databases were totally asleep at the wheel. That is the quote of the day, so saith Florida politics, Politico, all these publications out there who have uh, been watching the story we started here on the Ward Scott Files. So I think that's a magnificent quote of the day. It's um, absolutely deserving. And it is something that is absolutely true. So I, I invite you to uh, to uh, think about that uh, as a, as a something that um, we're bringing you as a service as best we can to keep you informed so that you won't be sitting around having your toddy at five o'clock and not know what you're talking about. Well, back in May, um, uh, the uh, the writer Kaplan, whom we know pretty well and and, uh, and help along with information, uh, wrote a story that has to do with candidates' residencies. Now, let me preface this by saying to you, you have to understand the, the, the requirements of where a person has to, let me use a verb, live, and we'll, we'll, we'll refine that. Where a person has to live is subject to the charters. 
Now, the city of Gainesville charter, since it has mixed use representation, it has a mayor who's now elected at large, but it has some people who must re live in a district in order to be voted on by just the people in that district. This kid Eastman lived in a district who just got elected to the commission and only the people in that district geographical location could vote for him. The same was true supposedly for um, Hayes Santos, Adrian Hayes Santos. His oath of where he lived was challenged by his competitor, Jim Connish, who was also running. And the Connish alleged that the kid, Edwin Hayes Santos, did not actually fulfill the requirement of the Charter of Gainesville and didn't really live anywhere. And when you go look at that deposition, we may have it out on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. I think we do. Um, it is the biggest mumble jumble you can ever hear from, a, from a, you know, until, you can't pin the kid down. Well, he had a girlfriend. He stayed there with her. Was she in the district? Well, yeah, for a while. And then she moved. And then I, I dumped her. And I went and lived with my mama. Was she in the, well, yeah, for, it went on like this and on like this until, you know, it was so daggum confusing. And the interesting thing was he was a renter or a, beyond a renter, he was just a, 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 a crasher. He would crash at different people's houses. Um, and, you know, so how do you define him? Anyway, he got through all that scot-free and became a commissioner under shaky definitions, if you will, alleged, let's do that, shaky definitions of where he resided. And you can read the, de the deposition and make up your own mind about it. But Connish certainly thought he didn't come forth as straight up and honest, but somehow it satisfied these definitions of residencies. Now, in the county, people are so confused. And, you know, you know, and I'm always dismayed by how many professional people in this community, bright people, don't know, you know what, from a hole in the ground about what, how government works. It is amazing to me. They'll call me and ask me the most elementary of questions. Well, some of it's not their fault. I guess, because, for example, the charter is different for the county than it is for the city, because the county says uh, you must reside in the district. Now, that word reside is always, and many things in law are deliberately vague so that you have a difficult time proving a violation. This seems to be one of them. Uh, you must reside. But what is the definition of reside? Well, let me tell you what people do. Uh, they, Paul Delaney's example, Hutch Hutchison, the communist commissioner, is another example. These I know from personal experience. What they do, 
uh, is a homestead, in the case of Paul Delaney, and across from the law school, that's her home. But she has a residence that was down by Bevan's arm. It was a condo she owned, I think, if I recall, um, that fulfilled the letter of the law that she resided in her district. Well, the problem is, how do you know when you're sleeping there unless somebody tails you 24-7? And, and even then, it's, it's really tough. The Hayes-Santos deposition is evidence of that. If you tail that kid 24-7, uh, you'd get dizzy from trying to find out where the heck he put his head that night. So Hutchison claimed at one time that he lived in the log cabin at the bottom of the 8th Avenue Hill. And I called him one time and asked him about it. And I said, Hutch, did you ever actually live there? And he said, no, I just used that as my residence. And every once in a while, I'd go over there if there was some flu at the house and I didn't want to be around it. So it fulfilled the letter of the law. And the law, the charter says that you must reside five days after you're elected at the most. So even so, you don't have to go get a residence. You don't have to rent a place or find a girlfriend or whatever uh, until you know that you're elected. And then you have five days to do it. Well, uh, and it's different for the school board. Uh, you know, McGraw was removed uh, because she didn't live. And I have to take a look at that. I know exactly how that language works. Probably homesteaded. I don't know. It's a little more specific or she wouldn't have been removed because she could have claimed that she slept over there or this, that way, another, but she couldn't. The, the letter of the way that rule is left, evidently written for the school board makes it very ironclad a district. And then her rebuttal was that Kim Barton should have told her when she signed up uh, that she wasn't in the district. And of course, Barton says, I'm not obligated to tell you anything. And this is the defense that they're using about signing up the people in the jail. I'm not obligated to tell you anything. If you sign this form, it's your uh, business, whether you're actually able to vote, Mr. Prisoner. And yet common sense will tell you uh, that the prisoner didn't go looking uh, for the T.J. Pichet. The T.J. Pichet came looking for the prisoner. In the case of McGraw, she came herself looking for the registration. So, you can't really compare the prisoners to McGraw, but she was removed because she didn't live in uh, the district. And there's always the issue that can be used that uh, new districts come about as a result of redistricting. Uh, you have to remember that the commissioners themselves choose the borderlines of the district, and yet they don't bother to change this so that they truly have single-member districts. You see, they play this to the hilt. If you really had single-member districts in a Lachua County, you could go to the charter and make it so that not only must you reside in that district, you must homestead in that district, okay? 
you must, and homestead means you get a tax exemption. And, but the language is not that tight. So along comes a property record that shows Mary Ellen Wheeler, along with her husband, claimed a homestead exemption. This is in the Kaplan article, which is a property tax that requires primary residence for a primary residence, okay, for Northwest Gainesville home outside of her district prior to being elected. Uh, the The home is in District 4, which is Cornell's district, if you had truly single member districts. So what I'm trying to suggest to you right now, it's possible for all these candidates, all these commissioners from the county commission to come from one neighborhood the way the charter reads. All they have to do is reside there. And what's the definition of residence? Well, go ask Hayes Santos. So her quote is at the time of your election, you need to live in the district you represent. No, that's not right. Within five days after your election, you have to reside. Now, you know, you quibble about language. This is the proper time to quibble about language. Is to live, which is an infinitive, the same as to reside, which is an infinitive, which is the same as to homestead? No. To homestead is vastly different from residing and living because in homestead, you actually are freed from the obligation of paying taxes on that home because you claim you live there as a home. Now, this gets interesting. I'm going to work through this with you and try to help you understand it. So I'm going to delay the break a little bit, if, if that's okay with production, uh, just for a few minutes. Till I, and I'll probably have to come back after the break and even delve more into this for you to understand it. You see how the voter doesn't know anything, uh, how easy it is to fool the voter. So uh, when she filed for office in 2018, the records showed for Wheeler that she re- her primary residence was in Cornell's district. Now, the primary residence was, in this case, a homestead. Now, that, that, that enters into this. That enters into this. Now, in 2020, 18 months after her election, she purchased a home with her son in District 2, where she now claims to live part-time with her son and the third person. Uh, here is the problem. She and Alfred both went down on, on their driver's licenses, changed their primary residence, as I understand this, uh, and paid a homestead penalty bill. Paid it in full of $3,561.56 for falsely claiming a homestead to be the homestead. Now, that is that has been brought to my attention, and that is going to be looked at a little bit more closely because it appears to create a first-degree misdemeanor. Alfred, for example, did the same thing. Not only did she panic and go pay in full $1,654.40 on May 22nd, not long after this article came out, 
for a homestead penalty bill, but she also resigned. But she's going to try to run again. Now, apparently there has been some digging into this and it's come my way and I'm going to throw it out there for you to be aware of. The homestead exemption claims at the time each taxpayer files claim for a homestead exemption, the property appraiser shall deliver to the taxpayer a receipt over his or her signature. You get this card and it automatically renews every year if you don't move, okay? Which then identifies the property covered in the application, the date and all that business. But here's the kicker. Any person who knowingly and willfully gives false information for the purpose of claiming homestead exemption as provided for in this chapter is guilty of a misdemeanor of the first degree. Now, that is the rub, if you will, to, to borrow Shakespeare, uh, in this situation. Because if, let's just speak about Wheeler. If Wheeler had not, and I understand she's done this, if Wheeler had not gone to the driver's license bureau, changed her addresses and all that stuff there, if she had just continued in what we call the gray area of residency, the gray area of residency, which I've already given you several cases of people who live in the gray area of residency. And it won't be cleaned up until they're single member districts, which I doubt will pass. But anyway, because of these very things, they don't want certainty. The politicians don't want to be nailed down to commit. Okay. It's against their bloodline. So I know Mary Helen, we're a nice lady. I, I don't know Alfred, but they have got put themselves in jeopardy here, apparently, from what I've been told, in that they panicked and moved out of the gray area by their own volition into a criminal first-degree misdemeanor, possibly, We'll see how this plays out because of changing other documents to claim other residencies as their homestead. Um, most interesting. Uh, this is just getting investigated. I can tell you this by now. There's going to be lawyers involved in this. Uh, they're going to go take a look at this. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be. My initial response when I was given this information was that that's ah, going to be a tough one to beat, you know, but then I didn't realize that it appears unwittingly they left the gray area and went and changed other documents when they didn't really need to. My point is Paul Delaney, and I'm just going to use her as an example. I don't, you know, I, Let's let's, say, let's put it this way. Let's, let's make a fictitious person. John Doe lives homesteads with his wife in Gainesville. That's across from the football stadium. Has a house there. That's his homestead. He also goes and rents a place in his district. And he pays the rent there. Pays the utilities but never claims it as a homestead. Okay? Still claims his homestead as a homestead. 
So he's okay. He's in the gray area because nobody can tell when John Doe is putting his head on a pillow in that redhead room. And it does fulfill the vague letter of the law. But if he were to go down there and claim that, let's say he bought that rental unit and claim that as his homestead, while his wife still claimed the other as homestead, let's say, then you've got a problem. Then you've got a problem. Well, if you're, if you're confused, stick around because it's going to be looked at by attorneys. I can tell you that right now. You're hearing it first on this show. And I don't know what the outcome of it's going to be. But one outcome could be rather interesting. Now that there's been qualifying for these commission seats, if the two ladies indeed, by their own behavior, incidentally, as I understand it, disqualified themselves from being eligible public office, it's too late for the Democrats to put another person in their place, as I understand it, because qualification is over. Now, whom would this affect? It would affect Ed Brady and Ramey Glenn. They would have no Democrat running against them. So you can bet there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on this. I can't forecast how the language will be interpreted. I've seen these kind of shenanigans going on in the Boss Hart case where there's all these shenanigans with language, direct trade secrets. And when you get a lawyers involved, you know, you get people who try to take language and go in the direction with it that benefits their client. And if they get a jury or a judge that's gullible enough, then they succeed. Ooh, I need a cup of coffee after that. Production, well, let's take a break here. And, uh, and, and thank you, ma'am. And we'll be right back on the Word Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 
1-800-227-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil.
I'm not sure. I'm talking now. Can you? Can, am I muted? So it must be the guy. It must be the guy who's listening is muted. His place. Okay, I'll hang off for a minute. Oh, I just got her on my sideline phone call. Now it says A-OK. -okay. Tim Martin says he hears me. We're OK. We're OK, production. Thank you very much. Uh, just got a sideline phone call here that I was muted with no sound. I suggest that the person check his own computer. Uh, we Thank you for letting us know, though. Sometimes we have glitches, but everybody else is telling me they hear me OK. So thank you very much for st uh, uh, staying in touch with us. Well, as I was saying, um, uh, I know these people that uh, I was surrounded by out of the college. And uh, I like this fellow. OK, I mean, he's a he was a colleague. Uh, but, you know, he's pretty representative of, of the mindset that uh, I, I, I often uh, converse with. He was in the same department I was in. Um, you know, what can I say? Uh, but he hangs out, of course, as friends as I understand it, with uh, Robert Carl Hutch Hutchison and that crowd. So it makes sense. But I just wanted to go over a letter to the editor uh, that he wrote and that I want to share with you. Back in the days on the radio, we used to do quite a bit of this. We'd have these letters because we had a call-in show and they could call in and, you know, talk to us about what we thought about their letters. Um, so anyway, this is written by a guy named Steve Robitaille. He, he's a Ph.D., uh, he was a colleague, but he's incredibly liberal. <laughs> Here, I just want to—I want you to listen. It's in the paper today, in the Gainesville Sunset, which I don't take in paper. I take on—I look at it on online. Um, and here's what he says: He says uh, Governor Ron DeSantis said that his gubernatorial opponents, Nikki Freed and Charlie Crist, were quote extensions of President Biden, and that their approach quote wouldn't fly. In a glaring instance of the pot calling the kettle black, which, by the way, I would never use that phrase because it's a cliche. A cliche is a worn out, tired expression. And but, you know, in this case with robotized, probably it's probably indicative of worn out, tired thinking. I would never use a cliche like that in a public in a public letter. Uh, anyway, in a glaring instance of the pot calling the kettle black, DeSantis thinks we don't get the fact that he is an extension of Donald Trump. Less Trump's staple red tie and expertise. You know, you talk about cheap shots. <laughs> you talk about cheap shots. Now, this guy's in the classroom. I got, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, this guy is around young people, okay? He teaches the same department I was in. He's retired now, but um, God bless him. I mean, but this is nuts. Now, I'm going to finish the whole letter and I'm going to comment on it because it's public. You can check off the many extensions of Trump that DeSantis hopes will earn him a second term as governor and then position him to run for president should Trump world need a stand in. I don't know where the heck that came in. The extensions of Trump. DeSantis is waging war on woke values. Trump's not. Trump's waging war on people who are abusing the Constitution. And the deep state. Trump is waging war on the deep state. DeSantis is waging war on the woke values. This guy doesn't understand that. You see these cheap shots that happen? This is what I have to deal with. 
This is what I have to deal with. Now, this is an intelligent guy. I mean, you think, I mean, he's got a PhD. He's got a retirement now from the Gum State. And the guy's thinking like this, making these false comparisons. This is a basic composition uh, uh, practice that we teach. Do not make unfair comparisons. It's one of the very fundamental rhetorical strategies we first teach. We teach fair comparison. We teach unfair comparison. We teach fair argumentation. We teach unfair argumentation. One of the things I teach you to do in argumentation is to cheat so that you know how cheaters cheat. So I always had the students write a fair argument. Then I had had them write an unfair argument and see if they could catch each other cheating. Now, then the next paragraph by this colleague is, immigration a problem? And his question mark, DeSantis proposes busing immigrants to Delaware. Delaware? War on the woke? Clamp down on educators, businesses, and Florida citizens? Here we go. Here is your sleeping gun. Who believe that issues relating to gender, women's rights, climate, gun control, and other topics central to the common good. Are you, this is the essence of what you're fighting if you are fighting for common sense. This guy says in a, how shall I say this, in a, uh, a sweeping basket load, here is what you're against if you are a DeSantis voter. You're against gender, issues relating to gender. Now, what in the world is that? Okay, you're against women's rights. We know what. No, we're not. We're for the Constitution. This is the most criminal comment in this whole letter, that this may, he makes a sly remark because he's really addressing it to somebody like me. I'm not for or against, quote, unquote, women's rights. I'm for the Constitution. Abortion was illegally put into the Constitution. We finally got some judges who could decide. Or Congress, you come back and change the law, but don't stick it in the Constitution. This character here takes this cheap shot, publicly puts it in the Gainesville sunset, which is about as idiotic as these comments, and expects us to swallow this crap. And then he says, this is all a bully and and still fear tactic, and a page straight out of the Trump playbook. You talk about being bullied. You talk about being bullied. You wait till you run into a liberal, open-minded professor like this one who won't tolerate clear thinking. Clear thinking. You think I could ever write that sentence? Do you, honest to God, any of you think I could ever write a sentence like that? That if you're Let's lump them together. DeSantis or Trump, you are against women's rights. 
That's not the issue. The issue is the Constitution. I entitled today's show The Lawless Land. A character like this, I doubt if I ask him some questions right now about what I just went through with Wheeler and Alfred and he could follow it, that he would understand it, that he would know a darn thing about what I was talking about. Let's go over to let's go over to Trump and what's happening. This is the opinion page Saturday, the Wall Street Journal. I thought this is about as good as anything. What in the world was a Mar-a-Lago raid about? It's another act of lawlessness, okay? Another act of lawlessness. What the Wall Street Journal has examined all this stuff and has distilled it down to what it's really about and is a fight over the handling of classified documents. That's what it's about. A fight over the handling of classified documents. The, the, when you look at the filing, it contains no suggestion of any greater charges or a larger investigation than the dispute over Trump's handling of the documents. Now, most people concede that this is Trump's way of doing things. He's often been his own worst enemy. But he is the president and he can classify and declassify what he wants to. The affidavit contains references to comments by Trump and his associates that he didn't tell the truth about what was classified or what he turned over to the National Archives before the search. Uh, This appears to have been frustrated. Uh, The Bureau, so the Bureau does what? Uh, The FBI thought, therefore, that Trump was, quote unquote, behaving badly. So they thought that led to the Redolent, which is the odor of criminal behavior. And I think the smartest thing I've heard is what Ted Yoho said about Trump. You score Trump the way you score ice skaters, for example. They get a score for their artistic ability and they get a score for their technical ability. Trump, more often than not, flunks the quote unquote artistic ability because, as the liberal professor just said, He's considered to be a bully, although they're the bullies. Uh, He's considered to be, uh, you know, low energy Jeb, and that's not supposed to be the way you treat politicians. Uh, But so he gets a low score on artistic ability. But technical ability, he was going after the deep state. He understood what that was about in Schedule F. And they knew he knew what it was about. So they are trying to find, trying their damnedest, if you will, to find something criminal about him. So the demand for the documents, the search, as this opinion piece in the journal says, on Mar-a-Lago, was disproportionate to the likely offense. I have said that this looks exactly, almost to a T, like the SWAT team invading Colliers International. common sense tells you that the SWAT team's arrest of the individuals at Colliers International for fear they would destroy quote-unquote trade secrets, which nobody can define or find, is obviously disproportionate to any common sense individual to the likely Offense, even if there were an offense. 
Notice I used a subjunctive mood, were, which is contrary to fact. So the question is, how in the world could a dispute over documents yield a criminal indictment? Furthermore, the people accusing Trump of criminality, according to the opinion here of the journal, resorted to criminality themselves. This guy, Robitaille, how would he have liked for Gillum to be, have been his governor? He probably would have loved Gillum to be his governor. Ask these people that sometime. When they're complaining about DeSantis and they get through with their ranting and their incoherent babble, just say calmly to them. And so, you prefer Gillum for governor? And if they say yes, call the authorities and see if they can be carted away. I swear. I, I probably need to retire from this. This is just, to see the world up close like this is probably not the best thing for people. My golly, what time is it? 9.58, I guess we'll call it a day. We'll have Ted Yoho with us tomorrow. Appreciate production helping us out today, uh, as always, and appreciate you all tuning in and sharing this and learning from it, hopefully. And um, we'll be back uh, with you, and hopefully we can perform a service for you in the community forum. A Warthog Command Center out.